Yes, this next story will probably scar you for life. The liberal Swedes are actually wishing to legalize Okay, so the liberal youth of Sweden is now keen on incest and necrophilia. So whatever you do, do not type in necrophilia in your favorite search engine and do an image search. Sit down and get ready for the shock of your life. Because I have good the people, the three people mm. who were proposing the motion around necrophilia, what was their, uh, where were they coming from? Uh, you mean their way of thinking? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were thinking, well, the, the motion isn't actually about necrophilia. It's about uh, letting people do whatever they want with their body when you're dead. Uh, so when I die, I could, uh, well, before I die, I could write uh, in my, uh, what's it called again? Uh, will. Yeah, in my will, uh, that uh, maybe I want to be given to science or I want to be... Uh, buried with my favorite books or if I want um, people to paint on me I don't know uh, <laughs> uh, but also if I would like people to have sex with me when I'm dead that should also be okay I'm James Milsom and this is The Rule Book First thing, I have been informed that I've stopped introducing myself properly at the beginning or near the beginning of episodes. So I'm James Milsom. I'm a lawyer, but I'm also a music guy, a podcast, obviously, person, um, a bunch of different things. I guess that qualifies as an introduction. The other thing, if sex and the language around sex and, uh, I guess, psychiatric disorders and sex and where the two maybe kind of sort of collide are offensive to you or are tough to listen to, then this is probably a bit of a risky one to, to, um, to keep playing. This story centres around Cecilia. She is a law student in Stockholm. She uh, found herself in the middle of a media furor as a result of a decision that an organisation she's involved with made. I'd spoke to Cecilia in Stockholm where we lay our scene. Uh, my name is Cecilia Jonsson and I'm the chairperson for uh, the Liberal Youth Party in Stockholm. What is the Liberal Youth Party? Uh, we have a Liberal Party in Sweden and we are the youth organization for that party. Mm-hmm. Uh, we help them campaign, but we also tell them when they do something wrong. It's really hard because our party, the Liberal Party, the members are really old. <laughs> like, uh, I think around 60 is the normal age for them. Uh, so it's hard when you're young and want to uh, get into politics. Because when you start out with politics in Sweden, in general, you start with uh, rather small questions like um, where to build a school or um, uh, the elderly homes or whatever. And that is not the kind of question that interests young people today. We want to discuss the big questions like uh, immigration and uh, migration and uh, taxes and uh, 
freedom and war, that kind of things. But there's no platform for young people to do that unless you're in a political uh, youth organization today. Now, I did tease a few clips at the beginning of this story, uh, and we're going to get back to that, that issue of necrophilia and, and whatnot. However, my preference is first to get a bit of background about Cecilia and about the organisation that we're talking about. So you heard her say that this is the uh, essentially the youth um, component or wing of the uh, Swedish Liberal Party. They refer to themselves as the LUF, and they're interested in uh, all sorts of things, but it seems like a common theme in uh, the sorts of work that they do is around governments and what power governments have, what governments can do, the limits of what governments ought to be able to do. One example that Cecilia gave me is uh, the Swedish government has previously had the power to, uh, well, has made themselves the only ones who are allowed to sell alcohol. They thought that wasn't right. Well, the government shouldn't sell alcohol. It should be in a free market. That's the kind of question we work with. Uh, and also open borders is very important for us. And another issue that the LUF have worked on, a government monopoly on selling medicine. And this starts to hint at some of the uh, discussion that we're going to have later on. I think they say that uh, uh, people can't handle things like buying painkillers and whatever. Again, I'm telling you this stuff because unlike some of the media coverage of this previously, which was based around essentially, you know, 140 characters of tweet, we're going to have a look at it with a lot more context. We're going to see it through as many different eyes as we possibly can. And so a little bit perhaps about the government under which Cecilia and the LUF were operating. We have a really leftist government, so they sort of always been... uh, I don't know how to explain it, but they've always been telling people how to live their lives, sort of. It's the social democratic way of um, of doing things. Uh, they think that uh, the government makes better decisions than uh, the individual. Okay, let's move now to me in uh, Paulina's Airbnb apartment in funky Sofo in Stockholm. Should we, would you mind giving me a little bit of a, history on where this necrophilia <laughs> stuff came from? Yeah, uh, we have an annual meeting every year uh, where we set like the political opinions for the next year. Uh, and people write to call it motions. So it's just like any other meeting. You might have been to one like this. People turn up with motions or uh, issues that they want everyone to think about and decide on. And, well, exactly that happens. ...on the floor uh, during this meeting. And it was, I think it was four members who uh, wrote... One member wrote about uh, incest and three members wrote about necrophilia. Uh, and uh, I, well, then we have to take a stand. So, questions. of everyone who came to this meeting, three wanted to talk about legalizing necrophilia. One wanted to talk about legalizing incest. And I think that actually this is an opportune time to start to get some expert opinion. Hi, uh, this is. Uh, my name is Dr. Anil Agarwal, and uh, my uh, designation is I am working as a director professor in. Uh, Department of Forensic Medicine in Malana Azad Medical College, New Delhi, for the last 37, 38 years. 
Anil Agrawal. He is a forensic scientist. He works at the Milana Azad Medical College in New Delhi in India. He's got a kind of a thick accent, but one, you get used to it. Two, it's worth getting used to because he literally wrote the book on it. I am supposed to have written the first ever standalone book on necrophilia. So let's start a little bit broad and then zero in. What we're heading towards is uh, necrophilia. For those who think that it's or say that it's wrong, well, why is it wrong? I think that a good place to start in having that discussion is, well, defining it. Psychiatrists call it uh, one of the paraphilic disorders. Paraphilic disorders, you see, paraphilia, you see, as the as the term itself says, para means around, and philia is love. So it's it's a you love something which is around the normal. You 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 are not uh, like a normal man who loves a woman, but he will love something else. Like uh, he he might uh, love a woman's. Uh, shoes for for example in which case it will be called fetishism or he might want to show off his organs to the females which is exhibitionism or he might want to surreptitiously look at a woman's bathroom to see her naked that's voyeurism so i mean he will get pleasure always in so-called abnormal things, which are not considered uh, normal, you see. Let's acknowledge at this point that there are all sorts of issues around who gets to say what's normal, whether there needs to be any such thing as normal, etc. However, we're actually going to get to that. So if, indulge me, put it to one side of your mind just for the moment and let's define necrophilia. So necrophilia is a very weird kind of a um, paraphilia where the person wants to have sex with the, uh, with, the, with, the, with the dead. You see, the traditional definition of necrophilia was that the person would have sex. I mean, uh, earlier they used to have some other uh, classification also. For the first time I discovered when I was searching the word literature that necrophilia could actually be divided into so many different classes, shades of necrophilia, so to say. So that's what I was, uh, that's how I became interested in necrophilia. And many of us already know about necrophilia and what it means and what it is. We've read about it, we've seen it on TV or whatever. It's had plenty of attention in pop or less pop media and culture. Necrophilia. A stand-up comedian told me the other day that when he really wants to shock, necrophilia is his go-to taboo. Nurse has been sentenced to two years in jail for having sex with a corpse at a Sherman Oaks hospital. It's a sign of respect, but some sick people don't see it. The crimes of Jeffrey Dahmer made the world cringe. Seventeen murders, cannibalism, sex with the dead. A man who made his Milwaukee apartment into a violent and erotic death chamber. One thing led to another. It took more and more deviant-type behaviours. And who decides what's normal? My urges. Uh, what did you say? Pedophilia? Well, so, for example, um, the, the psychiatrists who, who decide what goes into the DSM-5. DSM-5, basically the book of psychiatric disorders. More about it later. Or what normal means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you see, normal is what is decided by the general public. You see, what's the, most of the people, what they like is normal, and 
what uh, most of the people are not interested in that's abnormal you see actually the differentiation between normal and okay and so it's not really for us to decide on uh, whether necrophilia is normal or all of these issues around normality um i think that it just pays to be aware of of the issues and as well i think that it's probably fair to say that well, if I asked a the president of my local necrophilia club whether he or she thought that necrophilia was um, by the community generally considered to be normal, I think that he or she, madam or Mr. President, would say, no, people don't tend to think that what we do is normal. So, yeah, that's something. Um, let's now move back to Cecilia and she talks about in the room when this decision was made by the LUF around the legalisation of necrophilia, what the feeling was and what people were thinking. Once we read the the way uh, these people have thought about it, it was really clear that this is a liberal way of doing things. Um, We are a bit extreme in our opinions because we want to be as liberal as possible, I guess you could say. Uh, It's one of our things as a liberal uh, or any youth party that you go a bit more extreme than your mother party uh, yeah and are you and are you extreme yeah so you're extreme because you can be yeah exactly because we don't need votes the same yeah. way they do but presumably if you're if you want to, if you're making a motion at your annual meeting um, you're not doing it because it's just in a vacuum you're doing it because it's, it has some connection to the um, party as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think most of the motions that we get are for like uh, people just try out the liberal thinking. Where, where's the board? How far can you go in liberal thinking before it gets strange or weird? Uh, and also, how how far does the liberal thinking stretch us? Goes for uh, my freedom ends where yours starts. Where exactly is that? Uh, so most of our discussions is in really ideological, not very important questions. But, uh, well, they're important for us, but I don't think anyone else would think so. Like I said before, one of the motivations for looking at this story is someone was live tweeting in the room uh, that the LUF were meeting in, and that's how the international press got a hold of it. But that was all, like I said... On the basis of 140 characters, it didn't take into account any of the legal and moral and ethical issues that that we're now talking about. And so I think for that reason, it's important to become even more educated in that pursuit. I've got an idea. I think that we can sneak together into a lecture hall and get some education for nothing and we'll do that in just a moment hey i'm speaking to you from home at very late in the evening before i upload this story and the reason why i'm cutting in on the story is to say it would be really great if you could take a little bit of time to consider uh supporting this podcast supporting the whole series 
on Patreon. It's this online platform, if you haven't heard of it, where you can uh, become a contributor or a supporter or whatever you want to call yourself, your future self, uh, to programs or projects like this. Um, For $2 or more per month, you get all sorts of different perk packages, um, starting from just really, really great feelings all the way up to bonus content, um, interview stuff that you don't get to hear. And trust me, there's a lot. Um, early access to music, which is going to be released, uh, that's coming from these podcasts. Heaps of different stuff. Head over there, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash The Rulebook, or just go to the website, therulebook.xyz, and follow the Support The Rulebook link. It would be really, really, really great to have um, support with this thing. It's really not easy. It's super time-consuming, and um, eh, but it would be way easier with a little bit of help. Okay, as I promised, we're about to go into a lecture hall and see uh, some academics in their natural habitat. Before we do that, let's just get a couple of things straight. Okay, I think that we all know governments have the power to make laws. We give them the power. Mm, Let's not think about it too much. We just did. But how much power should they use? How great is the power? Um, Does it enter our bedrooms, our dreams, our thoughts? We know that laws are rules and that we're supposed to stick to them. And if we don't, we get in trouble. That's simplified, right? But it's basically true. But what are laws for? This is Mohsen Al-Attar at Queen's University in Belfast. Well, let's consider the purpose of a law. When we're referring to laws that prohibit people from killing or drinking and driving, the impetus, the motivation, is to protect society. So the first is about protecting society, and the second is about imposing a particular morality. All right, and so while I don't actually think that this lecture hall um, theatrical device has run its course just yet, I do think especially when I tell you that the next uh, person we're going to hear from is at Harvard in another country on another continent, I can probably um, stop whispering. This is Michael J. Sandel. He's going to talk about being a libertarian and what that means in the legal context. And that's important for thinking about the LUF. So what does libertarianism say about the role of government? or of the state? Well, there are three things that most modern states do that, on the libertarian theory of rights, are illegitimate, are unjust. One of them is paternalist legislation. That's passing laws that protect people from themselves. Seatbelt laws, for example, or motorcycle helmet laws. The libertarian says, it may be a good thing if people wear seatbelts, but that should be up to them. And the state, the government, has no business coercing them, us, to wear seatbelts by law. It's coercion. So no paternalist legislation, number one. Number two, no morals legislation. Many laws 
try to promote the virtue of citizens or try to give expression to the moral values of the society as a whole. Libertarians say that's also a violation of the right to liberty. Take the example of, well, a classic example of legislation offered in the name of promoting morality. Traditionally, have been laws that prevent sexual intimacy between gays and lesbians. The libertarian says, nobody else is harmed, nobody else's rights are violated, so the state should get out of the business entirely of trying to promote virtue or to enact morals legislation. Yeah, sounds pretty familiar, right? Especially thinking about what the LUF and Cecilia are saying. Just revisiting the question that I posed earlier about how far laws should go, uh, let's return to Mosin Al-Attar at Queen's University, Belfast. According to John Stuart Mill, law should only regulate the behaviour of citizens insofar as that behaviour directly harms others. Mill is trying to protect our personal freedoms, our personal liberties, by saying that the baseline is that a person is free and free to do whatever they please, so long as that behavior does not harm others. So that's a glance, a quick one at that, at uh, legal theory and um, stuff that law students think about for uh, a long time, um, believe me, and even longer if they're into it. And it's just something that I want us to take with us as we keep thinking about this story, about uh, this discussions with Cecilia and Anil and well the the next thing that Cecilia says really really links in with what you've just heard from um, Michael J. Sandel at Harvard. So it's sort of a liberal question on what can you do with your body uh, and when do you stop owning your own body because as a liberal it's very important that I'm the only one who owns me Uh, but do I still own myself when I'm dead? Yeah so to the LUF Uh, there's this contradiction. You get to decide, they say, about what happens to your organs after you die. But No, exactly. You get to decide what happens with all your things. Uh, You get to decide where to be buried if you have any uh, um, opinions about that. So you already get to decide a lot of things, but you don't get to decide that because people think it's weird and uh, nasty. Uh, but we don't think that, because, I don't know how it's in Australia, but today if you have sex with someone who's dead, you can get up to one year's prison. And we think it's a bit strange that if I allow it, why should someone be punished for doing it? Why should the state get involved in something that has nothing to do with them if no one got hurt? Can, in Sweden, can you consent to being killed? No. So is there any thinking around um, what's the difference? If I said to you, I'm, would, I would be pretty happy if you just put a knife in my heart right now. Yeah. What's the difference? Uh, I would say that the difference is that, um, that if, you, if you want to die, if you want someone to murder you, uh, there's something... Wrong. It's the same as if I try to kill myself, uh, the state gets involved and try to save me. Uh, 
because I wouldn't want to kill myself if I was feeling well. It's a sign of being uh, having troubles. Uh, mental illness. Yeah, mental illness. And I would say it's the same for asking someone else to kill you. It's a mental illness sort of problem. Uh, because then you hurt someone also. Uh, you're not allowed to hurt someone. So you can obviously hear that I'm getting to these issues with Cecilia that we've just learned about in our informal education session. Um, and I think that, well, it's clear that there are these two sort of reasons uh, behind laws existing. One is morality, that is collectively as a society we agree that something's right or wrong. The other one is harm. If something's going to hurt somebody, then we don't want that to happen. Um, whoa, huge um, broad generalizations, but you know, uh, you, you're accustomed to that by now, presumably. I spoke to Anil about this stuff. I told him about my interview with Cecilia, about her position, etc. So many people uh, feel that uh, necrophilia, that is having sex with the dead person, may not after all be a very, very um, unethical thing because the dead body does not have, uh, does not have, have a capacity to consent. You see, like a live person. So the dead body cannot consent. So if you find a dead body which is without, who, which is not having any relatives or any, you see, people to look after him, and then you are having sex with him, so they feel that ethically it's not wrong. You can do it. If the body belongs to someone and he authorizes you to have sex with that body, then it's all, it's all right. Just like if uh, there's a dead man and uh, the next of the kin, you see, allows the, some organ to be taken out, like heart, lungs, liver, and to be transplantation. So it's okay. So if the next of the kin allows the sex, that should be the okay. That, that so many people say. But these are only philosophical discussions, and I do not think this will ever be uh, passed into the law. So that's kind of morals um, spoken for from Anil's point of view. We've also got to think about harm. Is there harm that can come from necrophilia? And let's set our prejudgments or our prejudices aside, if we can, and and think about it objectively. You can have diseases while having sex with the dead bodies because dead bodies, after all, the home of so many bacteria because it's putrefying. It's decaying, so, but uh, they feel that uh, if you use a condom and if you use all the other techniques, then you will not get infections. The, uh, but so I wonder whether, because I think that our governments decide that things are crimes often because they will hurt us. So for example, um, I shouldn't be allowed to, uh, to consent to someone killing me because uh, people shouldn't get killed. Yes. And so is, that, is, is there a similar thing here that people can get hurt because of necrophilia? And so that's a good yes. reason. Yes, uh, you have raised a, a very important issue. That's an issue of consent. That you've given a very good example that I can't consent, uh, for example, my wife to kill me 
बिकॉज कंसेंट यू सी देड दैट कंसेंट हैज इट्स ओन लिमिट and uh, in relation to paraphilia i can i can tell give you a very good example uh, there is a disorder known as sadism where people get you see pleasure in hurting other people they 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 hurt other people with whips and there is a disorder called masochism in which people get happiness sexual pleasure when they are being whipped so in britain there was a club where so many sadists and so many masochists they used to gather together and it was a normal practice that sadists would whip the masochists with the consent so everyone is happy everyone has consented sadist is also happy masochist is also happy both have given consents yet they were caught by the police because it was an abnormal practice they went to the court and till the house of lords they said that it is an uh, it is a wrong practice you should be jailed for it because consent does not mean that you can do anything they went to the international court of justice european courts of justice in netherlands there also they lost the case ultimately the issue came does consent has limits or not and the answer was yes consent has limits so you are very right even with consent so many acts including necrophilia can be a crime simply because number 1 it is against so called human morality we have already discussed what morality is and it is all decided by the majority of the people it's against ethics it's some people say against religious views and also there was there is one reason you see according to bible and according to all the religious scriptures in the world they say that the purpose of sex is only procreation my personal view is that if some sex practice is not harmful to health like oral sex or masturbation or maybe having sex in some abnormal position or through some abnormal route if it is not giving rise to any health issues then it may be allowed sex with the dead although mm, there are no very uh, huge uh, health issues involved but uh, i personally feel that having sex with the dead one who is incapable of consenting that should not be uh, done uh, maybe because of my strong religious uh, background but i would be against necrophilia the next little thing that anil talks about he he refers to homosexuality and i want to make a comment about it before he can start talking because i think that it needs this little bit of context and it needs us to make sure that before we uh before we think about it too critically or um with too much prejudice we just remember we're talking here about homosexuality as something um that obviously it's far different now but historically in much of maybe all of the world it was something that was illegal and also uh was considered widely to have been morally wrong right so that's just horrible to say except that i think that it's basically also true as far as that it's part of history And then just a quick comment on psychiatry. So 
Psychiatrists are the ones who are responsible for deciding what is a psychiatric illness. And in doing that, and yeah, right, obviously there's heaps of other stuff that's coming into their minds, but part of that is obviously going to be, well, harm. Um, is is there something that other people who are suffering psychiatric disorders uh, causing harm to themselves or to other people? And morality does society consider something to be wrong? And that plays into these paraphilic disorders a lot. And it just so happens to be two of the things, these factors that we've just been talking about in making law. In DSM-3, that is the third edition of Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, homosexuality was a uh, mental disorder. And uh, that's why homosexuality was a crime also. However, Later on, because of uh, multiple number of reasons, um, uh, they thought that it is not a, uh, you see, crime. It's not a um, uh, kind of a disorder. So they removed it from DSM. And the moment it was removed from DSM, it was decriminalized from several countries also. So what you are uh, saying is definitely having a point that one of the reasons why it is considered a crime is because it's in the DSM as an abnormal disorder. Mm-hmm. So this is basically a really hard story to put together and it's much bigger than I bargained for and you might have even gotten a sense of that. I guess the overwhelming point from the point of view of the LUF is that governments shouldn't always... <laughs> Tell people always what to do. Uh, and we can't have a society where the government always knows the best because I don't think it does. I think I know better than the government how much I can drink. I don't think standardized mo- models and like uh, frames for people work very well because there's always people who want to fit in and uh, I think it's more important to protect them and let them be who they are than to let everybody, <laughs> than to sort of make everybody fit into all this norm so what about if we make it legal to put in your will that you want someone to have sex with you when you're dead um, and legal no and illegal to have sex with dead bodies unless you have a permit from the government saying that you're allowed to have sex with (laughs) dead bodies would that because then you can turn up to the government office and show them that you're a sane person <laughs> and they can say, all right, here's your card. Yeah, I don't think so because then I don't want the government to be too involved in people's sex life. I mean, uh, actually, uh, uh, it's like some people can handle really harsh BDSM, but some people can't. And I don't think the government should tell, well, you can and you can't. You can, but you can't use whips. You, but you can use whatever you want. I mean, it gets really strange. Yeah, exactly. It would be really strange. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that would be necessary. I think that you would notice if a pe- person is feeling, is getting depressed or whatever because of they're doing something like necrophilia or whatever. Um, and if it shows that, oh, well, the necrophilia is the root of your depression, well... Then, then they would have to talk about it. I'm not a psychologist. I can't tell what you would do about it. But uh, I mean, I think there's other ways to help those people if they need help. 
So this is a divisive issue. That much is probably understating. And I just wanted to mention it so that you know that I know that it is. And and, and I chose it for that very reason, because I think that that's a really good way to then have a conversation about or to draw our attention to governments making laws, whether they always necessarily should be, whether they need to be. What can we do by ourselves without their help and without them telling us what to do? And this is a 100-hour podcast episode um, that's been reduced down to around, around half an hour. So there's far more to this than we've been able to address. Let's just understand all of that. And let's return to where we started, which was this issue becoming such a major deal around the world, despite it being a decision that was made by a bunch of young people in one room in Stockholm. And here's what Cecilia said as we were wrapping up. I still think it's really strange that you know about this. And I think it's really strange that people have contacted me from like Brazil and everywhere because it just spread and I don't understand why. <laughs> I mean... Uh, I wouldn't care that much if uh, a bunch of teens and young people in, say, Guatemala uh, had a meeting and decided to think strange things. Uh, <laughs> so I don't really understand why this made so big news. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Rule Book. James Milsom is my name. This episode featured interviews with Cecilia Jonsson and Anil Agrawal. Uh, credits for clips that I used will be in the episode um, description. This episode was produced by me, uh, music by me, uh, a whole lot of stuff, I guess, by me. And it, given that, it would be really great if you could provide some support um, that could include contributing uh, via Patreon and the details that you heard midway through and that you'll hear, hear again in a moment and by sharing on social media or tweeting at me or whatever. I tweet um, at Rulebook Podcast. There's a Facebook page. Search Facebook for The Rulebook. Um, the website, www.therulebook.xyz. Do you still need to say the www? I'm not sure. I did. Um, I suppose I've said it twice now. Okay. That's me. Thanks. Just me again, extraordinarily late at night now, um, much later even than when you heard me about 15 minutes ago, your time, uh, sitting here with Trexie the dog, uh, who is assisting me in putting this thing um, online. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you very much for listening once again. If you do want to support The Rule Book, you can head to the website therulebook.xyz and follow the link to support the rule book, which will take you to the Patreon site, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, which you can also get to directly at patreon.com slash therulebook. Also tweet at me at rulebookpodcast and uh, Facebook, etc., etc. 
really, really appreciate hearing from people and I have been hearing from people lately and it's really great. Okay, out. Trixie Studio.